Hi, I'm Helen and this is Why Mums Don't Jump. Busting taboos about leaks and lumps after childbirth. All the stuff that happens to your pelvic floor that no one ever talks about. Incontinence, prolapse, pelvic pain. Problems that affect millions of women. One in three. I'm one of them. I have a prolapse. My pelvic organs fell out of place after the birth of my second child five years ago. And if you'd told me then I'd be speaking about this stuff out loud, I would have told you to give your head a wobble. Hello, hello, and welcome. How are you doing? Thanks for all your messages again this week, especially the lovely voice note that I got from Canada. It was so nice to think that, um, you know, the conversations that we're having here in the UK are travelling far and wide. And uh, I loved that image of you listening in your car on on the way to work. So thank you for that. Um, And apologies to the listener who said that she cried into her chicken pie while she was making it. We've all been there. (laughs) I hope you're feeling a bit better now. Today then, right, at the end of the last series, I asked for your thoughts on what you'd like to hear. And one of the suggestions that came back was about the need to discuss bowel incontinence, faecal incontinence after childbirth. It's understandably something we very rarely hear about, a taboo within a taboo. But it doesn't mean it's not common. The charity MASIC, which is for mothers with anal sphincter injuries in childbirth, It estimates that one in 10 women who have a vaginal delivery will have problems holding either poo or wind. So it's absolutely part of the picture and something that we desperately need to hear. I am so pleased to say that Chantelle Sandham, who is at Tears From Tearing on Instagram, agreed to share her story and she tells it with such grace and humour. She's a mum of three and... By sheer coincidence, she only lives up the road. So when the UK COVID rules allowed it, we were able to meet in a local park in person. Hello. (laughs) Just a quick warning, we are going to talk about forceps birth and injuries in this episode. If I I ask you anything that you don't feel comfortable answering, obviously just say no. I'm open to talk about anything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So well, let's start then with when you first realised that this was going to be a problem. Um, So I had... um, this happened with my third baby, um, my first two. I did have quite a, a difficult first late pregnancy and labour. Um, that was 10 years ago. I had my second baby six years ago, seven years ago, everything went fine. And then I got a surprise pregnancy the third time. Um, and along came little Henry three years ago. And I thought, because I had such a good second labour, I thought to myself that things were going to be as straightforward again mm-hmm. for the third time. But... Maybe that was naive of me to think that. And um, I went into labour myself, which was great. And then there was just a bit of a issue with the labour where he was a big baby and he got stuck. He wasn't in a very favourable position. So they used forceps to bring him along, um, but they didn't give me an episiotomy. So I tore because of that. And um, at the time, I felt like I knew that I had damaged my bum because as soon as he was born, I said, like, I feel like the baby's just come out of my bum. And actually, um, that was true, but they stitched me there and then, and I went home, and for the first couple of weeks, I knew I was in a lot of pain and something wasn't right, but I didn't really, everyone kept saying to me, well, you've had a baby, you're going to be in pain, and I just thought that's the way it is. I was having some, like, um, accidents with going to the toilet, like, obviously for a poo, Um, but I thought that was because I was walking slow because I wasn't making it. I never even thought about bowel problems. From having a baby ever um 
I never ever, even though I've worked with mums for years, and obviously you've got a lot. Of, I've got a lot of mum friends and had two babies. I didn't know. Well, no one talks about it, do they? No. So you know, like you don't sit at a playgroup and say, "Oh yeah, I pee myself now. I've had I've had a baby." I've just never. That, that conversation has never happened. Yeah. And so obviously you hadn't you hadn't realised there'd been obviously quite a lot of damage and and that was pelvic floor damage as well as yeah. Uh, so um, I know now that I've got damage to um, my anal sphincter and damage to the pedendal nerve and just I've got um, a rectus seal and also damage just generally to the pelvic floor which is now really weak um, they, I mean, we, have, we don't know exactly why and they're saying that it could be because of the delivery or it could be like a cumulative because I've had three children so that's kind of what happened and, and how did it progress like you said you didn't really realise at the time that it was going to be an issue what was the moment when you were like this is, this is not, not okay as soon as the baby was born and you know when everyone says like it's really scary going for your first poo yeah well actually I went to the toilet for a week straight after I had him and I just went for a poo and there was no problem and I was thinking I was really like proud of myself I was like that's amazing like I've been and it wasn't even a worry and because I've done this twice before and I was prepared for that that horrible situation yeah I know the one and, um, I know the one and I was thinking oh like, that was really good. I was like, I can go home now because I've had a poo. And I never, ever thought to myself that that was a problem mm-hmm. until more recently, actually, maybe two years later, when I thought, actually, I, that might have been the start of when, straight away, as soon as I had him, that things weren't right. But I suppose I didn't, until the doctor said that things didn't look right down there, I think that's when I first realised, actually, I really do have a problem. I only men- mentioned it on the off chance. She didn't even ask about anything down there. She just said to me, and how are you feeling? And I just said, oh, things are not quite right. And that's when we realised something was horribly wrong. Um, there was, I mean, it was about eight weeks on and there were still stitches and bruising and I was having problems holding, like, everything. Wind. I- I'm all right with my wee. <laughs> that's one thing I've got going for me. <laughs> other than that, um, everything just wasn't right in the... It's really hard, isn't it? Because it is funny like that when you've had a vaginal birth anyway. And I remember being in the doctors a few weeks later and having that moment of being, I know I'm going to sneeze. I am crossing my legs and I am, I know, like, I know things. Yeah. And it's like that when you've had a baby anyway. So it must, it must be hard to kind of know what's normal and what is more serious. Yeah, and when I mentioned it to midwives or who came to the house, I know the community midwives, mm-hmm. no one ever checked again. So after I, I delivered him and had um, my stitches done there, no one ever looked there again until my GP did eight weeks later. And I don't know, I didn't really ask for anybody to look, but every time I said that I didn't think something was right, the answer was, well, you've had a baby, yeah. you're going to be in pain. And then I thought to myself, I'm being really soft. Like, I've had three, I should know this now. But at the back of my mind, I knew that something really wasn't right. That was three years ago. And for people who have no idea what bowel incontinence is like to live with, what, what, how, how is that for you? Like, what's... So it changes absolutely everything in your life. Nothing can be last minute or unplanned. Um, I mean, if someone said to me now like just want to nip somewhere I couldn't just nip somewhere so maybe if I tell you like how a day would go if we're planning to do yeah. something so um at one point I had like quite unhealthy coping mechanisms mm-hmm. so what I do is 
I'd, if I had to go to work, for instance, into the office, I wouldn't eat all day. So I'd wake up in the morning and not, not eat at all because then obviously eating is going to make you have a bowel movement. Um, I'd take medication, like um, what you take, like Imodium. Yeah. Even though I've not got loose stools, it slows everything down, right. which I can take that. I'm allowed to take that. Um, so I would take that. Um, I'd have to get up extra early to see if I did need to open my bowels before I go somewhere. Um, so before my kids would get up, I might have to like wake up an hour or two earlier than them. Um, and then... And we all know how early kids yeah, get up. <laughs> especially when you have one that doesn't sleep. Yep. So as well, have difficulty because everything's quite slow there and they've got the nerve and muscle damage. Everything is... Sometimes it's a, a difficulty opening my bowels. So um, I might have to like do an irrigation and that can take maybe an hour to do. Can I ask you what that means? I don't yeah, know what of course. That is. So um, it's basically where you insert like warmish water into your rectum okay. and it like flushes everything out. So there's different systems that you can get. I'm not really a pro at all the systems, but generally you can have ones with like a small amount of water that you might use. And you just do that yourself on the toilet. So it has like a, a comb with a lubrication that you put into your bum and then you sort of flush warm water. So you get them at spas and stuff. <laughs> like if you wanted to clear your, clear your insides out. Right, it's a okay, thing okay. That people yeah. apparently pay for, yes. but I get it for free on the NHS. <laughs> so you, you basically, I have one where it's like a bag that you fill with warm water. Yeah. And you hang it up in your bathroom and then you insert it into your bottom a tube and it pumps warm water and it, it helps you like evacuate your bowels basically so glamorous <laughs> and so easy to do when you've got three children obviously banging yeah. on the door oh my goodness asking what are you doing mummy see you there at some crazy time in the morning yeah. doing this in the bathroom yeah so some people do it every day mm. or you can do it just if you're having a problem or you're going somewhere that day yeah um so you might do all that before you've woke the kids up in the morning um it's just a big change to routine, isn't it? And a big change to... And obviously children and life is not predictable. Mm. So, of course, one of your children will wake up when you're trying to do that and want mm. to use a toilet, and then they're like, what the hell is going on in here? Yeah. So it, I can't just nip out because it, what if I did have an accident? And obviously it's not... I mean, I'm not okay with pooing myself, but I'm coping with it a bit better than what I was. But it's not okay to go to Asda and poo yourself. So and carry on walking around, do your shopping. You can't do that. So, it, and it's it, obviously it's shameful. It's embarrassing. Um, it's uncomfortable, and it's just not. It's a taboo subject, isn't it? It's not. It's not socially acceptable to go and pee yourself anywhere. <laughs> so you no. can't just go about and think. Well, it's It's you know, it's it's my problem, and I'm not bothered what people think because it's just not. You can't go about doing it. I love how you talk about it like it's so matter of fact it just is and I and, I'm, and you know I get on with it and I, I do what I need to do but I, I just it there must have been some horrible times did you have you must have had times when you've just I don't know wanted to not not leave the house maybe or well there has yeah and I've had really really down times um because of this so I don't wholly remember the first year of Henry's life, which is really sad. But I think that's a natural and um, a defence, well, like a reflex of, of your mind, isn't it, to like block out things that are really difficult. Mm. So when everyone was going to play groups or enjoying things with the babies, I don't really, I didn't get to do those things. But 
I don't really remember the things that I did do with him, even if it was just at home. So I look back at pictures from the first year and I don't, I don't remember like, oh, an auntie got that jumper or I remember that day. I don't really recall any of that, which is really strange because I can recall that from my first baby 10 years ago. And I think that's just me, my mind, like blocking out a really difficult and low time. As well, I, everyone kept saying that you know, it must be really hard. And I kept telling everyone, no, I'm absolutely fine. I'm not traumatised by the birth. I'm not, I've not got postnatal depression. I've not, because I was just trying to get on with things. And, and really, I didn't really tell anybody in the first year. Um, and I've had a really low time, especially when, like, I've been waiting for surgery and things have been going slow and things have been worsening. Um, it has been really, really difficult. And I have felt like I didn't want to get up in the morning and I didn't want to go anywhere or do anything or it has it's been it has been a really really difficult I don't know where the three years have gone you said you didn't really tell people so did you just did you just manage to hide it then sort of well what happened was my partner he started started university the day after I had Henry so he wasn't around much and he's been waiting to go to university for years and I didn't want him to have a reason not to go so he obviously he was there when I gave birth. He knew that things were difficult, but he didn't. I didn't always tell him like the full extent, and obviously I would hide. So if I had an accident like in the night, or in the morning, or whatever, then I'd just make it. Not, um, just wouldn't tell it. You know, just wouldn't say anything to him. So hopefully, that I was hoping that he just wouldn't know, and I think he did know. Well, obviously he does know now, <laughs> but he didn't. He didn't know the full extent of things. I don't think, wow. and I don't know how I hid that really, because everyone knows now. Was there a moment when you told him about it all, or did it all just come out over time? I think it's just come out over time, yeah. and more recently, really, or maybe over the last year, he obviously knows everything. But this obviously impacts your relationships, your intimacy, your ability just to. He can't. I mean, he. Tr- People want to do spontaneous things when you've got kids. If you look outside and the weather's nice, let's go to a park. It's not as simple as that for me. So I made excuses, I think, for the first year. And then I just thought, I need to, like, be open and honest with people and get all the help that I can. And and then I realised, like, I needed to tell him more. So I did. And I didn't really tell my friends that much. And I did manage to go places and do things, but there was a lot of, like, accidents along the way. And I don't really know what he thought of it or... But in the end, when I was at my worst, I'd say, about a year ago-ish, then he left university um, because he needed to work and I was off work and my sick pay was coming to an end. So it did really impact him as well. I mean, he he got like a foundation degree, finished two years, but he wasn't able to finish his last year. So that's, I always felt quite guilty about that. And having a normal, well, not really normal at all, but having a partner that you expect to be more intimate with them, especially we've been together 14 years. There's not much that we'll get embarrassed about or, but it did, it impacts, it impacts all that. And then there's other tensions then, isn't there? And, you know, he's probably wondering like why, it's not now, but at one point he was wondering like why I wasn't being intimate with him, why? Um, so yeah, that's the impact that it's really had at home. And the kids as well wonder like, why can we not just do things sometimes or, why do we not go on all the holidays anymore? Or, you know, it has a massive, massive... 
impact. You say you can't just go to the park. What what would it take for you to be able to get out on that on that trip to the park on a sunny day? What would you would you need What would you need to do? So some days I'd know that I'd be okay, or I'd like risk it, and I'd, you know. But I'd, I'd have to think to myself, right? Later we're going to go to the park, so I won't eat anything this morning. I won't. You know, I'll take a medication, and I might like. I always had to take like spare clothes with me. I don't know where I'm going to get changed in the park if I was here, for instance. Like I'm not going to go in the bush and, and get changed. But and the fact is that it could happen anywhere, or it's just really an unpredictable thing. And so it does just take a lot of preparations. So it's not just. It's sad, really, not being able to be that spontaneous anymore with the kids because we used to just one night all of a sudden say, "Let's get in the car and go somewhere," and that can't be the case. I'm planning everything, and I've, that I've never to before even the littlest things talk to me about the the treatment then so um you obviously saw doctors early on and where where has that taken you over the three years so obviously I like to do things slowly and a bit more they want you to start off with lower level treatment so i started with physio and obviously doing like pelvic floor exercises and although they identified that like i've got actual damage to the anal sphincter you can um, improve your continence with pelvic floor exercises. Um, some people have to do them and they're absolutely fine um, and don't have a problem again. Um, so they tried all that with me at first and it's never made any difference to me. Um, so then they can refer you to things like um, biofeedback where they can... Um, I think... I don't really know much about that. I know about this. Do you know about that? I do. Uh, So biofeedback is where they can, uh, using a device, sometimes it's an electronic device, sometimes it's just kind of a plastic device, but basically it's a way that you can see if you're doing your pelvic floor exercises properly. So sometimes they put a probe or something into your vagina and then that registers the squeeze on it. They can do that like rectally as well. Oh, right. Um, But I couldn't like tolerate that because like the nerve damage and stuff. Painful. Yeah. So I did have like um, a home device so you put the probe it's attached like a little computer thing you like a tennis machine and you insert the probe into the vagina and you do your pelvic floor exercise but this one was like an electrical stimulation and it helped contract um your pelvic floor which is a very strange sensation <laughs> but apparently it works it didn't improve my bowel um continence but i'm still really working on all my pelvic floor things because i need to make myself in the best shape for surgery and thing make things strong so surgery is the thing that's that's coming down the line we think it is um so basically in lockdown in july i started with a new problem um which was the least glamorous thing of this which was passing stool from my vagina oh gosh i know so it was a bit of a at one point i wondered if it was happening earlier on but then i thought no i don't think that's happening and then one day it just obviously was happening so I rang um, the colorectal surgeon because I was already under there and they got me in as an urgent appointment and they couldn't find like where it was coming from mm. um, and they couldn't find where it was coming from from an MRI scan or anything and I've never had an infection because of it and um, or anything like that. So what they did is they just said, let's get you in for surgery because they were going to try more different biofeedback and they were going to try a... Um, you can have like a nerve simulator in your back which helps send a message to your brain to help you control your bowels wow um they're going to try all these other things but decided actually surgery then yeah was the best a starting point really yeah. so i've not got a date yet i've been waiting a long time um 
I'm going to have surgery and it's going to be quite a big surgery with a big recovery. But what they're going to do is, it sounds really drastic and I suppose it is really drastic, but what they're going to do is they're going to um, basically separate, open the back wall of the vagina into the bottom, like separate it right down. And then they're going to do like an overlapping technique to heal anything up there. So basically bring everything closer together, repair any prolapse that's there on the back wall and at the same time it'll repair any like fistula any holes that are in between and then they're going to rebuild my perineum because that's non-existent no idea where that went and then they're going to um repair my anal sphincter and they're going to do that all in one surgery so it's going to be a little stay in hospital for a few days which might be nice (laughs) peace and quiet and from that um hopefully it'll help they don't think it'll help my pain because um, that's nerve damage and it's just not going to help my pain and it could make my pain worse. But I feel that my quality of life would be so much better if I've got control of my bowels that I'll be able to manage pain better. So I've made that decision to have surgery. Yeah, and that's that's kind of hopefully what the future looks like then, doesn't it? Not, yeah. not perfectly back to how things were, but just no, a better quality of life. Yeah, and the surgery has a lifespan. Um, so sometimes like a repair of an anal sphincter can only last 10 years or whatever and I think it can be similar for prolapse surgery can't it but I feel what 10 years from now I feel like I'll have I'll have a 20 year old and a 17 year old and I'll have Henry will be 13 I know it's not everything about the children but I feel like I'll be in a whole different place to deal with that then and, it's and you don't know how things are going to progress over 10 years you know the technologies around this kind of stuff the treatments there might be other things then that are even better yeah they might be and I think it's really clever that they can do that now isn't it that they can make that repair and that they can do all the tests um so I'm just hoping that's soon and it's been quite difficult in lockdown because they've not been able to tell me when surgery would be um mm. and not knowing is really really difficult if they said to me it's definitely going ahead in a year then I could work even if it's a year away I can work towards that but for me the not knowing has been the most difficult thing because I, especially when it came to like Henry's birthday because I've been thinking in September I was like three years I've been like this when really I should have been thinking like I've, I've done really well to get through the last three years so I've been trying to like turn my thinking around and think a little bit more positive. And I've been having counselling as well for a year, um, which has really helped me and made me think about things a bit differently. Um, so that's positive. There must be so many women who are experiencing this now and like you in the early days kind of hadn't told anyone, are just really mortified by it. What What would you say to them? I mean, do you remember being in their position? Like, Yeah. I remember feeling like I was the only person that this happened to, that the only person that poos himself, the only person that has these feelings. And as well, it gives you, I can't say resentment towards your baby, but I had a lot of guilt because I felt that I couldn't do the same things with this baby as I did with the other two. And I felt like a really terrible person. Even though I'm obviously a professional person, I've worked with parents for years, I didn't really, I just felt like I was, no one else had ever felt this way so I think one day I just I didn't google search I think like I came across I think it's like birth trauma site on Facebook and I was like oh right okay this is some people have had similar things and then one day I just saw a post from somebody that was about 
this and they were pooing themselves and I was thinking oh my god someone else pooed themselves so then I thought there's two people in the world (laughs) (laughs) so I um I think I messaged them or started a bit of a conversation they were like you should try this page and that page and the next minute there were hundreds of women that were having the same issue I just thought oh my god I've never I didn't know like and I felt like my life became so much more I was really sad that there were so many other people, but obviously you're not alone, are you? You're not like, wow, and people were giving me tips and advice, and I didn't know that there were other ways. At this point, I was having physio, but I didn't, I never considered other things. And I think someone mentioned to me, like, have you tried irrigation? I was like, hell no, I'm not doing that. But when I spoke to all these people, all of a sudden I was like, I want to try absolutely everything because I want to make my quality of life better. So when I started meeting people, I thought to myself, I want to speak up for people. I want to start doing things. So that's when we sort of, I got like um Instagram going and I, I'm not embarrassed about talking about it anymore. So over the past six to nine months, I've started doing little like lives and podcasts and um, speaking with other people. I've got a little WhatsApp group. We're called uh, the Fairy Bum Mothers. <laughs> and we just um, talk about poo every day. And... <laughs> family life and about difficulties and and that really really helps it makes it's amazed me what a difference it's it's made you know I think my problems are very much on the lighter end of the scale but just through reaching out on Instagram talking to other people it just lifts like the weight is lifted isn't it yeah and a lot of what you're dealing with for, for me especially was was the mental load of it and yeah kind of I am on my own and the shame of it and I'm not I'm not normal and I'm broken and those kind of feelings have really lifted by talking to other people and those are the mess a lot of the messages that get through the podcasters is oh thanks for talking about it you've given us hope and actually I I got when I asked last series um what sort of episodes people wanted to hear in this series one uh one of the ones that they wanted to hear was from someone like you, someone who's got bowel incontinence, because taboo of taboos, that is some you know we we can just about manage as a society yeah. maybe to talk about urinary incontinence, but nobody talks no. about this. People might say they had a tear when they had a baby, but you go to baby massage and someone says, "Oh, I had some stitches," and I think really we we can say like, oh, "I poo myself now because I've had a baby." Like, I didn't do this to myself, and I, so I shouldn't be embarrassed about it, and wasn't done maliciously or it's nothing for me to be ashamed of it's a everybody poos it's a normal bodily function just mine's gone a bit wrong at the minute so I do feel like we should be trying to talk about it but I understand as well that people aren't as forthcoming as what I have and people don't always want to talk about it as much but I'm here I'm spreading the word of pooing yourself I can see you're on a mission aren't you I can see it in your eyes you're like yeah yeah and I think we just need to be out there and talking about it and I don't ever want to say normalizing it but I want to show that we're out there and that there's somebody else. I just, even if one person feels a bit better about it, then I feel like the mission's accomplished, isn't it? Yay! Yay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's getting really cold. To those of you who requested this episode, I really hope it's helped you feel less alone and that you can get the support you need to move forwards. You can follow Chantel, who I think is wonderful, on Instagram at tears underscore from underscore tearing. I'll put a link to that and the charity Masic in the show notes.
In the next episode, more taboos, sex and relationships, the impact of pelvic floor dysfunction between the sheets. I'll be speaking to the women's health physio, Jilly Bond, and I promise we will all learn something. You've been listening to Why Mums Don't Jump with me, Helen Ledwick. I am not a medical professional, so please don't take anything you hear as medical advice, but do get involved. Subscribe, post a review if you can, tell me what you think, and please spread the word. Tell everyone and anyone you know. You can find me on Instagram at whymumsdontjump or online at whymumsdontjump.com. Bye for now.